，我们之间的距离只有零点零一公分。我对他一无所知。六个钟头之后，他喜欢上另外一个男人。Chongqing Express is a 1994 Wong Kar Wai film from Hong Kong. It's a film that combines two separate and almost totally unrelated narratives.、Uh, in each case, though, it features a、uh, recently jilted police officer in a area of Hong Kong、uh, called Chongqing Mansion, which is kind of like a,、um, a bazaar. You know, set of variety stores and and convenience stores and things like that. And、uh, in the the first story, follows a、uh, young police officer whose、uh, girlfriend May left him、uh, fairly recently,、uh, about a month I think before the start of the film, and he has not even begun to get over it. And he's buying a, a can of pineapples every day with her、uh, with the expiration date of of his birthday of May first,、um, because she liked pineapples. And walking around, kind of being bummed out, and at the same time, there's a、uh, a lady in a wig、uh, involved in some sort of drug deal situation, and、uh, this cop falls for this、uh, drug lady,、uh, and they have kind of an, an interesting interaction. Then we switch to the second story, which is、uh, also a jilted cop, although in this case. Um, he is a beat walking cop, and he comes by a, the,、uh, the same convenience store every day, or the same kind of、uh, food mart thing every day, and、uh, slowly develops a relationship with a quirky、uh, lady who who works at the store. So,、um, with that in mind,、uh, my guest for this month is David Blakesley.、Uh, why don't you say hello, David? Hello, Arik. Pretty happy to be here joining you on this pretty cool little podcast you got going. Ah, thank you very much.、Yeah. Uh, so David represents kind of a, a, a first for the podcast in that,、uh, rather than being a, a friend of mine from the sort of either my、uh, personal life here in, in or or my tech life, he's part of my Criterion、uh, life. So、uh, David <laughs> writes a <laughs> David writes a, a fascinating blog、uh, called Criterion Reflections, where he's been watching the Criterion collection in chronological order. I think you're at 1968 now, if I'm correct. Just getting started with 1968. Yes, it's it's fascinating, and we'll give you links to that at the, at the end of the show. But.、Um, He so this was an interesting challenge for me to to find a film for you to watch because I tend to recommend you know a Criterion film and and finding one you hadn't seen and I, I what did you think of this film? Let's start there. Oh, I I was very smitten with it. Yeah, it was very fun. I, I um yeah I've heard good things about it and、uh, just to say a little bit more about my. Connections, my background. I, I'm a writer for a Criterion cast and a podcaster on that website. And actually, Chungking Express was episode number one of the Criterion cast. I don't even know if you knew that, Arik, but、uh, I didn't. And, know and this was、uh, a podcast started by、uh, by three friends, acquaintances of mine, and they did their first episode back in I think it was 2009,、uh, the same year I actually started this series on my blog. Which was just basically an effort for me to start keeping notes of these Criterion films, and I thought I'll just kind of do a little self-education in this history of cinema by going back to the earliest、uh, Criterion movie in the collection at the time, which happened to be Nanook of the North, and I just made a spreadsheet, lined them all up by date,、uh, their original release date, 
and have been kind of slowly grinding my way through ever since. But back in uh, 2009 when Rudy uh, Obias, uh, uh, Travis George, and Ryan Gallagher, uh, three internet friends got together to uh, start a podcast, this was the one that they chose to uh, to talk about. So I just had a chance to listen to that earlier this week, and that was kind of fun. Uh, Ryan's the only guy who's still with that podcast. He's kind of the, the guru and the master of that website, and I joined the the podcast and the and the network the following year uh started writing articles and reviews for them uh and so yeah i'll I'll say a little bit more about what i do but just kind of a fascinating little crossover so i've heard about uh, chunking express and uh you know it i I knew it was kind of a a pop uh not a romantic comedy in the traditional sense but definitely one that had a lot of charm a lot of style a lot of kinetic energy uh kind of captures a place and time it's got kind of an exotic appeal and flavor to it uh but also touches on universal themes that people can relate to from you know many different cultures yeah, that's that's amazing. I saw on your Twitter that you had been watching episode one, but I didn't follow up. I meant to follow up and see yeah. what that was. That's amazing. <laughs> that's so, a little hint Ryan, that I dropped. Uh, I figured maybe you'd pick up on that, and maybe people other knew that. But anyways, yeah, this whole thing has been kind of kept a little tight secret that I'd be on this yeah, podcast. I have. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. Ryan is, yeah. a, is a friend of mine as well, yeah. and I, I will have to go back and listen to that uh, when, when we're done. That's so great. He does, uh, by the way, for everyone out there, if you like uh, any of this, he does amazing work. Uh, everyone associated with that, you, David, yeah. Scott, uh, everyone on that on that network does a, a great well, job. Thanks a lot. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so this film is from 1994, and uh, I I was surprised. You know, we're not going to talk about what film you chose for me, but it was also from 1994. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I, I when we get there, maybe we can talk about it. But I was really surprised that they were from the same era. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie, I thought it's. It's an interesting film because it's it's so the, the you know the two halves of it are so only very tangentially related, and I think that was that was kind of a kind of an interesting risk, no? Like to to, to especially because one of them is a lot longer than the other. Yeah, well, I think um, the, just a little background on the making of the film. Wong Kar Wai was a you know pretty you know uh, up and coming director. He'd already been doing some some films had achieved some fame and success, and he was in the post-production process of uh of a martial arts film that uh you know was taking a lot of its time and energy and uh i can't even remember the name right off the bat but it's probably not that important ashes of time just looking at the notes here ashes of time and so he he was kind of uh looking for a kind of a quick project and he had a, a a few short little short anecdote vignette type of stories in mind and one of them actually got spun off uh, into another movie called Fallen Angels. I think he might have originally had a trilogy or a trio of short episodes in mind for this film, but he only only used two of them for Chunking, Chunking Express. So it was basically filmed over the course of just a couple months, uh, just a very spontaneous, uh, free type of movie. And I'm certainly far from an expert on Wong Kar Wai. The only other film of his that I've seen is uh, In the Mood for Love, another kind of much celebrated and revered uh, released by Criterion. And the, I, the interesting thing is, I've seen it in The Mood for Love, but I, I'm not quite as swoony and, and enraptured by it as some of my friends are, people who I really respect and admire their opinions. It just, maybe it was just not the right place and time, but it just, it didn't grab me to the same extent that I've heard other people who count it among the very favorite of all their films, you know, of all the films they've ever seen. But this one here def- definitely, uh, you know, 
grabbed me pretty well. And maybe because I'm focusing on it, I know I'm going to be podcasting about it, I really kind of got into it. But I've watched it probably three times, plus a few little bits of repetition over the past you know, week or two. And yeah, you had sent me a request to kind of give you a list of some of the films that I haven't gotten around to seeing yet. And there's a fair number of the newer ones that I hadn't. Uh, but this one here, uh, you know, I, I had heard about it even when it first came out. It just never crossed my path i never took the time to find it uh but i've, I've enjoyed it and this is a this is going to be a good discussion uh, yeah so one of the things you bring up there that i wanted to touch mm-hmm. on is the, the idea that you saw it three times i think this is a movie that strongly benefits from repeat viewings oh yeah absolutely the first time you're kind of just trying to get your bearings and who's this woman in the wig and what's the what's the purpose of this drug running thing that she's got going on and and how does this cop fall in love with her when he hardly even knows her and and what's behind that so there is a little bit of bewilderment and it might just be a, a little bit of a cultural gap you know i mean uh, this is a Hong Kong story in this very densely populated urban environment. Uh, people are just crowding and rushing and pushing past each other. And, you know, how does love develop in a in a place where there's just so much pressure and hustle and and everything's just moving, you know, constantly around the clock? You get it's this, one of the themes yeah. that the movie wants to develop, right, is the yeah. idea that uh, – that it, and they bring – they draw attention to this at least twice, maybe more, where it's like – uh, people who meet each other who don't realize they've met each other, right? They've just been in proximity to each other. Mm-hmm. And then later they might end up being – you might have wandered into someone on the street and they might end up being very important to you in your life later on. And you will have absolutely no idea that you met them uh, previously. And I, I thought the film did an interesting job of showing that thematically by having you know the main character openly discuss that even though he obviously doesn't know that. It, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, well, well it's, and it's, it's almost a little bit surreal. Like, if he only had this tenth of a second brush past her, how did he even recognize it? How can he look back on his life and his memory and his experience in this kind of, you know, omniscient way? So there's a little there's a little theatrical trickery, if if you will, going on. But but it it just captures that 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 moment of 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 connection where you thought, you know, I'm just surrounded by strangers. And, you know, I, I've, I've spent times in my life living in big cities and, and including San Francisco where you are now. And I definitely remember some of those days of my young adulthood, just feeling like there's this, this, this crazy world of insanity happening all around me. And how did I get here? And where am I going to go with this all, you know, with all this energy and all the, all these feelings, all this passion, but who do I really connect with? I've got my friends, I've got my people I kick around with, but, do they really know me? Does, is there anything solid or stable going to grow out of this? And you definitely see that longing with these characters too. Everything's very transient, and yet, and, and they know that they can't just stop the world, but they've they've got to find that person to connect with, and that's what they're looking for. Well, and they dramatize that even even more strongly here by having these two people. Well, I guess the second cop uh, has has some friends at least on on the force. The mm-hmm. first one seems like. He doesn't, I mean, it's his birthday and, and he doesn't have anyone, right? right? Like no family, no friends, no nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, yeah, he's he's a real loner. I mean, his, his job is out there. He's a little bit more of a, uh, not a street walking beat cop, but he's more like a detective or he's, he's you know, he's out to nab people and he's, he's here to cut, catch crimes as they're occurring and, and track them down. So there's a certain risk and danger and maybe... That's another reason why he's a little bit socially disconnected because, you know, his, his job really requires putting himself on the line. That's not really a theme that's played up. He's really more just kind of moping around most of that first <laughs> half of the film. And and even when he, quote unquote, falls in love with the woman, it's only because he's kind of, 
you know, bottomed out. You know, his his quest for collecting the pineapple uh, cans has been kind of this, almost this preoccupation that just keeps him going during this month of waiting. If maybe, just maybe, his 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 uh, you know, ex girlfriend will come back to him, and when that falls apart. It's almost like he's just looking for the next woman with a pulse to kind of <laughs> fall in love with. And it just happens to be this woman who's just uh, survived a, a pretty treacherous episode herself where, you know, she's she's been cutting up uh, presumably heroin or some other kind of powdered narcotic to smuggle. And yet the people who she's looking to be her couriers end up turning the tables on her disappearing when her when she steps to a ticket booth and then boom they turn around they're gone and she realizes she's been betrayed and now she has to take some violent means to uh to try to get the drugs back or at least get her revenge and so you get a little bit of this action gangster shoot 'em up situation which really it, it feels out of place but it's also <laughs> just it's 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 kind of a very striking punctuation mark right in the middle of the film yeah i was reading something i think it was the booklet that comes with the Mm -hmm. sadly out of print criterion blu-ray uh that both you and i own that um that said that uh that that it wondered if it was if this was intentional by wong kar wai because he was sort of transitioning from making a lot of like traditional you know john wu-ish uh hong kong action films to two into more of like the where he went with mood for love and kind of his, his later films uh that he was kind of setting up the first half of the story to have that element of, of of the the violence in order to uh showcase his own uh changing of interest from from that kind of career into the into more of what the second half is which is has no you know violence or any action of any kind but i don't know if i 100 percent buy that because the one you mentioned the the third part which i haven't seen uh, mm-hmm. a fallen angel i think that involves like a hitman so i don't know if it I don't know if I Maybe really there's like a, a triptych where you've got two kind of violent, you know, bookends and that's kind of more sweet romantic screwball comedy type thing in the middle, you know, if that was his original scheme. Uh, but I think part of this is you just got to look at the fact that he was looking for a commercial success. This is a movie that was kind of designed to be hip and cool and funny. And I think those are elements that definitely um, add to the impact of this movie. I, these These stories as stories you know they're just slices of life and i don't know that they add up to a whole lot in terms of revealing something or even necessarily hooking us in and there's like ah this wonderful aha moment at the end it's really more about uh style and attitude and and the gestures of the camera work the the uh the the wizardry of the colors and the motion and and just that atmosphere that he creates, I think that's that's part of what makes this film very rewatchable. Because, you know, the first time through, you're just kind of tracking the characters, and then you're kind of trying to figure out what does this all mean. But you're also noticing this pretty colorful, pretty vibrant environment. And then I think going back into it a second or third time really brings that out even more, where you're just not having to even worry too much about where the characters are going. You're just you're just kind of in this whirlwind of activity and emotion and, and, and excitement and energy with them as they kind of go through their emotions. Um, there's an emotional heartbeat at the at the bottom of it all, but there's a lot of excitement on the surface, too. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a mood kind of film. Mm-hmm. It's really intended to just kind of, you don't, I mean, you want to sweat the details, especially the first time, because I was like, oh, you know, are these people ending up together? Are they not? Who is this lady? What's, why is she shooting these people? You know, uh, who who is this? Oh, that's, the ties into the second, you know, those kinds of things. Right. And I think, I think ultimately that's, 
going to be very unsatisfying to you if that's kind of what you're focusing on in this film because it doesn't really the story is not uh anything re- really remarkable and mm-hmm. i mean kind of a little manic pixie dream girlish with the, the fake character and yeah. you know those kind of things but i think it's it's really there's some very very funny moments which were always sort of surprising it's kind of a a surprising uh random funny movie but i think mainly it's just supposed to you're just supposed to get into that sort of that headspace of kind of the longing and the and the people and like you said like the the chaos of a of a of a really truly big city and and that feeling of like oh well I, there's people out there and I don't know them and I have no idea who's gonna end up being relevant and and everything ends and kind of all these these kind of themes that are not necessarily really spelled out or very over the top or or even all that. Um, intense just sort of like a a feeling a very pleasant feeling wrapped up in a as you said beautifully shot beautifully uh colorful film with a really phenomenal soundtrack yeah and and as a as a as a city movie as an urban landscape hong kong i know has some incredibly you know picturesque photogenic uh, you know, slideshow type of material that you could put together, but none of which but, he chose. <laughs> yeah, Wong, do, Wong does not do that. He, he, you're really kind of in this seedy little, uh, you know, uh, incredibly you know overbuilt, uh, probably you know by by my standards, certainly living in suburbia now, overpopulated. You know, the the apartment that they filmed in, uh, which happened to belong to one of the cameramen, uh, has a location there's this uh, central escalator which is like this huge moving platform that runs through the city and it's basically a, a mass transportation uh, device that was you know developed uh, you know the decade or you know several years prior to the filming it was just basically designed to move you know many thousands of people throughout the city so they don't they don't even have to get on a bus they just sort of stand on this huge moving sidewalk that it escorts people through the most densely populated part of the town. Uh, so there's nothing real glamorous about it, but you really are right right in the heart of the action. And that's that's what makes this kind of a snapshot in time. There's a little bit of a political, uh, cultural background, as, as this was in the years right before Hong Kong switched over from British governance as a co- colony or as an ex-colony, I guess it had been somewhat independent. But now the Chinese, you know, the mainland Chinese government was taking over and people were kind of skittish as to what was going to happen once they became part of the, you know, the communist economy. Well, as we know, in hindsight, that communist economy has been pretty, become pretty materialistic, pretty capitalistic, and pretty entrepreneurial. So some of those worst fears per- perhaps were not realized, but nobody exactly knew what to expect. And so you're capturing a little bit of that moment in time as well. Although, again, Wong never really goes out on a political tangent to declare whether this is a good or bad thing. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it, it ties really strongly into the what you were saying about the, it's. It's a sense of place, and it's a. It's a. I really enjoy uh, these types of movies that take you to a, a time and a place that you otherwise would know very little about. I, one yeah. thing I I was. Uh, that surprised me immensely when I watched this was the in the the drug currying couriering that's a hard yeah. word to say uh, <laughs> that um, that there were Indians you know from yeah. uh, that she was working with I had no idea that there was a underclass of of uh, migrant India Indian laborers in in Hong Kong in the mid nineties right I had no idea. Right, and that these people themselves were being exploited by you know the, the native uh, you know Cantonese, uh, the Chinese people. So so you you see all these different levels, and the, the, this is a incredibly you know multicultural 
scene. Uh, it, uh, little notes that stood out to me too in uh, in the second story, when the uh, uh, the stewardess kind of writes her breakup letter to uh, Tony Lung, the 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 the, the beatwalking cop. Her breakup letter to him is written in English. That, yeah. that, that's saying out to you. It's like you know they don't really speak English to each other. There might be a phrase. I think I think the the drug smuggling woman. She at one point she says in English. Are you sure you want in or something like that? Uh, and so, you know, there's this multilinguistic thing going on there. But, uh, you know, why would you write a breakup note in English uh, if that's not your first language? And I, I can't really answer that question. I'm certainly, it's just a rhetorical thing. But it just it just struck me, you know, and of course there's all kinds of American brand names, McDonald's and Coca-Cola, uh, Sol Beer, Marlboro <laughs> Cigarettes. So, so whether this is paid product placement or this is just life in Hong Kong in 1994, for, uh, maybe it certainly a bit feels old, yeah. like it's just life in, in Hong yeah. Kong in 1994. And I think, you know, the, the films of this period in general tend to be uh, viewed through a political lens regardless, even if they don't really have anything. But I do think there is some amount of, of commentary from, from uh, Wong Kar Wai. But it's very, very subtle. Yeah. And it's, it's in, in really nothing. Observational, in, really. He's just, yeah. here's what it is, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, what, what do you think about his technique? He has these kind of trademark shots of characters kind of static with all this motion behind them there's a, there's several of those and i guess one of the takeaways i got from that first uh criterion cast episode was apparently he he does that kind of trick if you will uh often in his other films i don't remember it nearly as much standing out um in in the mood for love as i do here and maybe because in the mood for love was a little bit more of an elegant you know uh, romantic type of movie this is this is you know has it, it feels kind of like a, a you know a camera trick where they're the actors are sort of standing very still or moving super slow while the characters are, are filmed behind them moving around them in a blur uh it strikes me as as very um it, it, it's very exciting i remember like uh, what's that old Harrison Ford movie, The Fugitive? That had those same kind of action sequences, and that was kind of a new thing, a new a new technique, a new dynamic that we hadn't gotten used to seeing in the movies at the time. And so I, I wonder if that was part of uh, Wong's calling card, just to sort of, you know, I got this cool thing that I do, and and again, it it has this you know very uh, you know energizing effect on the audience. Well, I think it's. I always find it really interesting when a director who um, has come out of uh, some sort of uh, genre field, like in this case, you know, sort of that action, uh, mm-hmm. you know, crime kind of vibe, and then they take those skills and talents to a completely different kinds of pictures. I always find that really fascinating. So, you know, he's here. He's telling kind. Of, I mean, there is that action part in the first story, but by the second story, really not at all. And there still right. is some of that. Uh, camera movement that you're describing and I thought it was great and I don't know if maybe if I'd seen you know 10 Wong Kar Wai movies I would be like well okay whatever Uh, here we go again doing it again but (laughs) yeah you know for me in in this one I was like oh you know that's really that's really interesting and it's 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 really well done and well and I think yeah the and the effect is very it's kind of has this contemplative feel to it like in the midst of all this you know madness and scurrying chaos they're having this kind of moment of reflection and this stillness in the, you know, this kind of peace amidst the storm, if you will, where he's staring into a jukebox or he's just, yeah. you know, kind of looking off into space or, or letting 
the impact of what's just happened sort of settle in on him. And again, I think a lot of us who lived in urban environments have had those moments too, where, you know, you're in the center of the cyclone and you're just kind of having your, having, having your moment while, uh, the rest of the world goes on kind of impersonally, not really given two craps about what you might be going through at the moment. Yeah, the film the film does a really good job of showing uh, d- different sides of sort of that isolation uh, aspect of, of loneliness and, and heartbreak. So you've got, you know, the first story where the cop uh, likes to go running when he's sad because he thinks that he'll sweat out all the tears. Um, and so he's, you know, in the rain on a field by himself. And certainly there's that kind of loneliness. And he has a lot of like, you know, kind of off staring into the night, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. traditional, shall we say, loneliness. And then you see what I imagine has to be certainly even in a city as dense as this one, uh, has to be a big deal in, in, in a place like Hong Kong where, you, you know, you have to, uh, you have to find your reflection and yourself and, and you know you can be alone in a crowded room, right? And so yeah. essentially, these characters are surrounded by people, uh, but completely, completely alone. And I think that the the camera trick does a, a really nice job of sort of showing what that feels like. It, it you know obviously doesn't look like that in the real world, but it, it feels like that where you're like, wow, everything's moving around me, and I I've lost track of you know twenty minutes, a half hour, and I look around and everything's crazy, and I've just been staring at this at this jukebox or staring at this match or staring at this whatever it is, and I think. You know, it's a really you know nice way to sort of turn turn inner uh, emotions into visibility on on screen. Yeah, well, then we're we're drawn to empathize. We we see ourselves as that character who's just kind of you know letting it all sink. Yeah, in. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So so, so what what did you like about the second story? I think I think you were kind of or maybe maybe I'm getting the other podcast in there, but I think that second story is is the charmer. That's the one that really wins audiences' hearts. It's you know Faye Wong who was a you know pretty cute pop star and definitely has a very you know, the, the pixieish presence. Uh, her little dance moves, her little you know uh, choruses of, of California Dreamin' and the the Cranberries cover song. Uh, really, th- those are the images. Those are the sounds that that kind of linger with me. Uh, her story is kind of peculiar because she's you know she's she's a girl who's taken a liking to this cop, and and his the women that he's fancied tend to be a little bit more. Uh, straight up sexy voluptuous women stewardesses a little bit more uh you know maybe just a little bit more what he considers his style and he just sees her as just kind of a shop girl just kind of the you know the the woman working the stands handing him the 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 salad or the burger or the soda the fries whatever and not really somebody that he would consider you know pursuing a relationship with and yet she's sort of tuned into the fact that he's a frequent visitor there and then she sort of lucks into some some intimate knowledge of his personal life through the through the key that's left behind that yep. he refuses to pick up. She sort of connives a way to get his address, and then she embarks on this very elaborate stunt of kind of you know not only invading his apartment but redecorating it and doing little bits of. Uh, somewhat playful sabotage <laughs> and it's like again w- what is that all about you know and and is the guy really so clueless as to not notice that there's been somebody messing with his stuff yeah we got uh, that yeah, that that yeah. for me it's like is he the worst cop of all time <laughs> like how do you not notice that your entire house has been replaced and even when he does notice he's just like oh 
Okay, I guess it. I guess it changed. You know, it's yeah. super weird. Well, uh, so and it's because it's, it's he's wondering if maybe his old girlfriend has come back. I mean, there's that one scene where he's, you know, when the Fei Wong character is actually hiding in the closet, and he's calling, "Come out!" You know, not thinking that she's actually there, but he's because almost his ex kinda, used to do that. Yeah, his yeah. ex used to do that, and he has this, you know, kind of lonely bachelor's habit of talking out loud to himself and talking to the inanimate objects in his household, his bar of soap and his wa- wash rag and stuff like that. <laughs> it's just like, oh, dude, you need some companionship. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so in, in reading about this film o- online, uh, you do see a lot of people who strongly prefer the first part of the film. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, okay. You know, the, the, and I think part of that is that the first part is a lot shorter. Um, mm-hmm. So of the hour and a half-ish, a little more than that, hour 40-ish minute running time here, the first part's maybe the first 40 minutes, 35, 40 minutes. Uh, when I was initially watching it, I kind of understood where they were coming from because, first of all, uh, I think Takeshi Kaneshiro, the uh, the male actor who plays uh, the cop in the first part, is is great. I really like him a lot, mm-hmm. although I don't like his, the love interest as much. But um, it it was it, on the first watching, I was like, okay, you know, I don't. The second part kind of drags a little bit. It's a lot slower. And you're kind of, and I think that's just because your expectations are set up because the first part is very terse and kind of very uh, moving uh, at a a good clip. And the second part is much more sort of slow paced. You know, there's no action, right? Less Mm -hmm. happens. But I think um, in, in sort of living with the film for longer, uh, it really, as you said, that second part is really the, the, the charmer and really where kind of, the meat of this this movie really really is located, and I mean you know Faye uh, Wong, uh, whose character is also named Faye, um, is you know she, you you kind of ha- you kind of fall for her. Right? Oh yeah, definitely. She's, she's she's so quirky and weird, and you're just like oh that's and he's you know just their 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 interactions and and all this stuff, and it kind of it, it builds on itself, but it is I think it can be jarring for people who are coming from that first section. Uh, into the second one, and they're just like, "Wait, what? What happened here? You know, what's going on?" Because it, it almost feels like two uh, completely disconnected. I mean, they, the stories are mostly disconnected, but it feels like almost two completely different genres of film in mm-hmm. some kind of way. Oh, I, I think they are. They really are. I mean, the first one really is kind of a, a kind of a noirish type of thing. Yeah, you know, very a, a femme fatale, if you will. She's a she's a drug dealer. She's good with a gun, and she's willing to shoot and kill if that's what the business calls for. Yeah, that's. You know, even even with the cop in the second story, he's he's just a street cop. You don't really get the sense that he'd be much good in a real violent crime situation. You no, know? not at all. Yeah, uh, he's just there to kind of you know maintain some eyes and and uh, be a a legal presence. And I guess he'll do what he has to do, but. Uh, he's not nearly the kind of uh, you know intensity of either of the characters in the first half. But you're right that that just comes and goes so quickly, and uh, it is interesting. I, I guess the police theme is is something that that Wong wanted to 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 kind of use to to bring a little bit of coherence. I mean, if they weren't both cops, perhaps it would have just been so disconnected as to not really hold together. Well, I also wonder if the cops are in some way a stand-in for. Uh, Hong Kong in the sense of they're, you know, affiliated with the government to mm-hmm. some degree, mm-hmm. you know, if that's sort of a, a way to kind of get a little bit of that political stuff in there without really ever ever talking about it. Sure, sure. Yeah, and then also the, the actors who are cast, uh, Bridget Lin was the woman in the blonde wig, and she was apparently, and I don't know much about her, but she was a pretty significant star. This was her very last role in cinema. And uh, Tony Raines on the commentary notes that her exit is kind of this this freeze frame where she finally 
pulls the wig off, throws it into the gutter, and just kind of slides off screen, and that's pretty much the end of her career. And I don't know if that's an age thing, like if she was considered, quote-unquote, too old to to be cast, or she was just done with the movies, and that was just how she sort of chose to go out. But, it, you know, it, it, it's it, her, her performance is, is kind of shielded. I mean, she's really behind those sunglasses and the wig and the trench coat the whole time, so... You know, you're not almost really seeing the perhaps the the actor that you've known in all of her previous films. Maybe, maybe not. I, I say I haven't seen any of them, but you know there is a there is a box office angle here. Each of the four leads were uh, either known, you know, you know, legends of sorts, or they were very popular, youthful performers just kind of coming into their you know the peak of their celebrity. And so again, that goes back to the fact that I, I do see this as a fundamentally a, a commercial uh bid for for uh you know just kind of a popular uh you know popular romance uh something intriguing it definitely has its artistic touches um but it is it is out there to appeal to a broad audience yes this is without a doubt a very commercial film and i i think you know i always try to be aware when i'm watching these films that of what the to best my understanding what the mindset of audiences at the time might have been so like you said with Bridget Lynn if that's an actress that you know from you know your uh, uh being a moviegoer in Hong Kong for you know ever before that mm-hmm. you might have a very different uh, that might affect you in a very different way than if it's me who knows you know nothing about this woman and, and her career but at, at the same time I know Tony Long, Leung's career, mm-hmm, right, going mm-hmm, forward. Mm-hmm. I've seen him in a, a ton of stuff. And so I have a maybe a different uh, expectation of him than, than people at the time because I think uh, this film, uh, you know, he was on the rise at the time and, and this film kind of cemented his his celebrity status in a lot of ways. So, uh, uh, you know, at the time it, it might it might have been a very different, uh, you know, perception of that than, than, than you get now. It's, 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 very, it's one of the funnest parts about doing what we do. Oh yeah, definitely. So now you mentioned that this this disc is sadly out of print, and I'll add it's expensively out of print too. <laughs> yeah. I I think I've seen it going for about a, what a hundred hundred fifty bucks or so. I mean, it's it's, it's a hard there. one to get. Yeah, yeah it's, I, and it's, it's and it's there. interesting because as a disc, as a Criterion title, it, it's fairly slim. You know, you get a commentary track, you get a trailer, and then there's a, a kind of an episode from a TV series that has some pretty interesting kind of making of behind the scenes stuff with Wong and also Christopher Doyle the cinematographer uh whose apartment was being used uh as as uh, the second cops uh, was it 633 uh his number his badge number uh, that was the apartment that uh, kind of got a little bit damaged in the process i mean they really flooded it out they really kind of messed with uh, Christopher Doyle's stuff even some of his own possessions and so you know talk about sacrificing for your art well I hope, that's, uh, that's, I hope the money yeah. I made made up for that. <laughs> yeah I, I think so i think probably uh, there was there were some dividends there uh the, the apartment itself has even become a little bit of a tourist attraction or at least it was for a while because that. it's it's a very it's a very uh you know identifiable location it's right by that central escalator there's a little window that has an angle out there that they kind of played for some comedic effect and uh yeah and so this is this is uh you know a, a title that obviously has its its uh you know, it's it's following, and uh, because it did go out of print, uh, not too long after the Blu-rays were being released, I think that's a little bit why it commands such a premium. So, 
I'm definitely glad that we got on it while we did. Yeah. Yeah. No. Typically, the ones that uh, that are super super expensive are the ones where yeah they they didn't they didn't it wasn't a long time after they came out that the that the lions that the Lionsgate Studio Canal stuff happened. So yeah, this yeah. one is. Whew, it is. It is definitely a pricier one, but and I, I don't and think I don't, it's ever been re-released anywhere else. Or, yeah, I mean, that's that's the that's the real shame about this Lionsgate thing. It's like that's fine. You wanted Lionsgate wanted all these movies that Criterion had absolutely no interest in, and and yet it, you can't get. I mean, even some of the ones that have come out in the UK, they're not out here, right? Like right, the, right. The Ron and uh, and uh, Third Man and stuff like that. It's like just put out an edition. Yeah, Studio Canal's just sitting on them. I think I think Studio Canal, to get into a little Criterion trivia, had an ambition to start their own kind of rival line, but they just never put the same quality of of production values. The transfers were often subpar. Uh, the packaging was kind of a cheap imitation of, of Criterion. And so they basically folded up their tents and decided, well, we're not going to really go into the home uh, DVD and Blu-ray business after all because we just can't quite compete but in the meantime they have the rights to all these films that they're just sitting on and uh, hence you know you get the criterion edition or you go overseas to see if you can find uh, a contemporary version a, a newer release in some other region code yeah i'm very hopeful that perhaps when the lionsgate deal expires maybe they can work something out uh, yeah. i don't you know lionsgate really hasn't been putting out much either this is obviously super inside baseball for those of you who are also <laughs> into the discs but yeah. uh it is it is you know, it is very interesting, at least to me and also to you, David. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the other thing I guess is that the the Tarantino uh, the endorsement. I guess that's how a lot of people first saw it. I think in '96, after you know, obviously Pulp Fiction from '94 kind of was Tarantino's big breakthrough. He had a little bit of clout, and this was a film that he kind of fell for and was pretty instrumental in distributing it throughout the United States and really gave uh, you know Wong Kar Wai uh, some pretty big exposure and probably got a lot of the Tarantino crowd to give this thing a chance when otherwise they might have just sort of written it off as some strange Asian romantic action flick or something. Yeah. I can see, you know, a little bit of why they would be interested if they did show up though, because mm-hmm. it does have that kind of Tarantino ish stuff going on oh, yeah. in, in, in parts. It didn't, yeah, it didn't, was not a big splash in the U S until, yeah, until he, uh, until he started pushing it. But that did, I think it more set the stage for like the following, you know, in the mood for love and things like that to really be pretty huge here. Um, but yeah, was there anything else you wanted to hit on this movie before we? Uh... No, I think I think we uh, covered it pretty well. Good conversation, Eric. Right on. Yeah. So um, cool. So uh, before we sort of say good good goodbye on this one, do you want to kind of tell the folks a little bit more about what you're up to and how to how to get involved? Okay, yeah, so my my blog is Criterion Reflections. It's uh, through the blogspot, criterionreflections.blogspot.com. I just was one of those blogger guys back in 2008-09 when I got this thing started. And uh, I'll be writing up uh, Death by Hanging by Nagisa Oshima, a new Criterion release pretty soon. Uh, I'm also a podcaster on a program called The Eclipse Viewer, which gets into the films of the Eclipse series, which is a sideline of even more obscure films than the standard Criterion fair. Uh, my friend Trevor Barrett and I have been doing that for the last few years, and uh, we just released a set on Italian melodramas of Raffaello Matarazzo, uh, kind of pot boilers from the early 1950s, pretty spicy stuff, very melodramatic, very uh, emotionally and religiously and culturally overwrought stuff, but a lot of fun. Uh, so yeah, if you want to just Google those, Eclipse Viewer, Criterion Reflections, and I also do a lot of other stuff with Criterion Cast. Yeah, so I'm. I'm. Uh, Trevor is a future guest of this very podcast. 
Yeah. Well, and I got to say, Eric, you know, I, I feel a little bit of uh, of pride because I, you know, I kind of helped you get started on this thing. There was a time not too long ago when you and I were talking about Michelangelo Antonioni's blow up, and uh, yeah, that was uh, kind of a little uh, dialogue we had. Uh, online through some private messages, and you actually did a an appearance on my on my blog, uh, kind of a, a a prototype, if you will, of the the podcasting that you're doing now. So it's kind of cool for me to kind of watch you having taken this step and launch what I consider a really you know, excellent format. I like the I like the conversational style. Uh, you've got some pretty cool friends, and I like the way that you kind of juxtapose the films back and forth. So it's a real thrill to, for me to be a part of this as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, you. I was going to mention you were absolutely where that was the first podcast appearance I had ever done, and uh, you you bore with me and. And it, it was great. So yeah, yeah, thank you so much. And people can find that on his blog if you look up uh, "Blow Up," um, a wonderful film, by the way. But uh, yeah. so uh, I heartily recommend any of you who haven't listened to uh, uh, any of the Criterion cast or Eclipse viewer, you know, go give it a try. It is they have so much awesome, awesome, awesome content. Uh, also, uh, David's blog is fascinating uh, because he's he's watching the movies chronologically, so he's. He's experiencing cinema as close as he can now to like how it was happening as it developed and starting all the way back, you know, like he said in the in the twenties. It's it's a it's it's great. It's one of my favorite uh, places to go and read stuff. So um, uh, folks can find uh, more of my stuff at uh, cinemagadfly.com or cinemagadfly on Twitter, and uh, we'll be back next time to discuss the film that David uh, chose for me. So for now, I will say to all of you out there, thank you and good night. I'm not